This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Patriarchy. You might have heard your feminist friend talk about how we need to destroy it. But what exactly does patriarchy mean? And why is it bad for us? All of us, both men and women. I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Sharon Bong, an Associate Professor of Gender Studies. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Perhaps you can start by breaking down what exactly patriarchy is. Thank you very much, uh, Dashan, for inviting me to be uh, on this show. So without sounding too jargonistic, patriarchy is institutionalized male power and male privilege that leads to the marginalization and oppression of women. Okay, I know that sounds like quite a mouthful, but put simply, men rule. In my own work, I use this term carefully, not to just blindly superimpose that or apply it, because we recognize today that oppression is intersectional, meaning that one can be oppressed by multiple axes of oppression based on more than one identity marker. So we could be discriminated against based on our sex, our gender identity, our gender expression, our sexual orientation, but also ethnicity, caste, class, nationality, you know, the religious groups that we belong to, or even the ideologies that we profess. And it takes the form, firstly, in terms of uh, sexism and also um, misogyny. So sexism is essentially, um, you know, a gender-based discrimination. And misogyny is the fear and hatred of women. And what's really, really problematic about both sexism and misogyny is that gender-based violence is often a result of, is often a consequence of both uh, sexism and misogyny. So it seems like, you know, this is a system, all or nothing, you know, zero-sum equation of male power and privilege. And very often women in vulnerable communities um, are punished for saying no, speaking out of turn, standing up for their rights and also the rights of others refusing to toe the line or stay in place. So these are the various ways in which patriarchy is practiced in the everyday. How and when did patriarchy start penetrating the mainstream? I guess a more interesting question would be, when and why did pockets of society wake up and realize that a lot of these problems we're facing is because of this idea that our systems are run by men? I think it's not easy to pinpoint the origins of um, patriarchy. So Western feminists have traced it to early patrilineal societies, you know, the male line of descent and in the era even before Christ, where women were bartered like chattel and goods. And patriarchy is named thanks to feminists as a specific social system that is supported across various institutions. So familial, political, economic, legal, social, cultural, and especially religious And the extent to which large parts of society woke up one day and realized that this is a problem, well, I think many are still wondering what the fuss is about. And this is because I think in light light of gains or inroads that the feminist movements have made globally and at home, and for well over a century, many are of the opinion that feminism is still irrelevant, as patriarchy is a thing of the past. And this is a dangerous notion as patriarchy, which is a form of structural and systemic oppression, is still very prevalent in our everyday realities. 
But just to be clear, Sharon, when we talk mm. about patriarchy, right, we are talking about a culture or the culture of, like you said, misogyny, masculinity, sexism, and not necessarily individual men, right? Because whenever this topic of patriarchy is brought about, whether it's on social media, um, when people use certain hashtags, for example, uh, men are trash, as a way to, you know, upend the system of patriarchy, you have people, guys usually coming and say, no, 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 but it's, but it's not all men. I'm not like that. Why are you bashing men? But we are not talking about individuals here necessarily, right? But a culture. Yeah, definitely. And it's a culture that is quite toxic. So it's not just, you know, um, acts that are perpetrated by individuals, but also collectives. And in fact, it's um, a system. So... We call this, you know, something that is um, structural because it covers many institutions. And I just named, uh, you know, uh, quite a few of them. But it's also systemic. So which means it's something that is not accidental, it's not random, it's quite purposeful. You know, it targets specific members of uh, our human society. And it's, it's often also not just the way our bodies are marked. Uh, you know, sex and gender-wise, but also um, the, the color of our skin. And that's especially prevalent um, in Malaysia. Does the system create individuals who think that this is okay, who behave in a sexist manner, in a misogynistic manner, in a toxic masculine manner? Or do you think the system is just a reflection of these types of uh, behavior? And it's a reflection of the majority. This is the classic chicken and egg um, yeah. question, yes, yes. So the system breeds a certain kind of mindset. And then um, each of us has a role to play either in, in reinforcing or perpetuating these sort of uh, you know, stereotypes and mindsets. Or we do more, but there is a cost to speaking up and calling it out and questioning, challenging and, you know, for some of us uh, trying to dismantle these uh, structures of oppression of which uh, patriarchy is one such system. When we talk about the different ways patriarchy is reinforced, let's talk about the home a little bit. What role does the home play in reinforcing patriarchy? The home is really pivotal. In the gender studies classroom that I run at Monash, mm -hmm. I, you know, get my students um, to uh, begin our stories, you know, with how we were raised in the home by our parents or whoever our primary nurturers are, could be grandparents and older sibling, and it includes educators and also religious mentors. So the gender work, as we call it, really, really begins at home. The questions that I'd like to pose, you know, to those who are listening would be, we just have to recollect if our home or family is considered a typical one. Uh, who is generally considered the so-called head of the household, right? How are decisions made? Whose voice is the most important? And so conversely, whose voice is the least important? And if there is gender-based discrimination, so for instance, who does all the housework? Who eats the last, you know, and the least? Who gets the better education and life's opportunities? And worst case scenario, you know, whether it's gender-based violence in the home, who is the aggressor and uh, who are the victims or survivors. So patriarchy in that regard is uh, very, very much played out um, in our homes. 
what do you think of because a lot of the examples you gave are very important but i feel that a lot of the uh, regular listeners might say oh that doesn't apply to me because you know i don't have gender based violence at home for example i don't have an abusive father for you know or you know when it comes to doing house chores oh everyone does it together you know it's our weekend activities and, and things <laughs> like that right but there could still be other ways in which patriarchal values are sort of implicitly reinforced uh, even in a so-called modern household, right? Things that are more nuanced. For example, things like how a, a parent, um, whether it's a dad or a mom, may be okay if their son, you know, goes out at night, you know, does whatever, hangs out with whoever. But then when it comes to women, there is suddenly this taboo, there is suddenly this overprotectiveness, or you can't go out with guys, um, you can't wear short skirts and go out at night. Are these ways in which... Um, patriarchy is being reinforced uh, in ways where people might not actually realize. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Dashran, and you've pointed out very, very specific examples of uh, what I termed earlier as, you know, discrimination that is gender-based, so meaning that because you are the boy in the family or the girl in the family, you are treated in a specific way. And uh, often this is uh, discriminatory because it's simply by virtue of the fact that you are the daughter or by virtue of the fact that you are a son. And um, it seems as though, you know, certain rules are prescribed for you. And there is a lot of gender stereotyping going on in the ways that you've mentioned. And some of this can be really like non-thinking, you know, because um, this was how I was raised. So this is how I will raise my own children. But I think uh, for those of us who... Um, are in that position to actually nurture the young, it's worth the while, you know, to first of all listen to the show and uh, to mm -hmm. let, you know, some ideas sort of um, percolate and, uh, you know, rethink some of the ways that we've been doing the things because it doesn't necessarily mean that just because this seems to be the way things have always been done, that they're necessarily healthy. You know, the whole question of the valuing of girls uh, because of their virginity, for instance. So this is the precise example that you mentioned, you know, the mm -hmm. curfew, the differences, right? Mm -hmm. um, where equality doesn't mean the same curfew for the son as opposed to the daughter. And um, it's really, really problematic how the bodies of girls and by extension women um, are policed in this way. So you get the sense that one is valued for, um, you know, one's purity, so to speak. And it's hugely problematic because in other cultures, uh, if you're raped, you know, um, there's a lot of victim blaming. There's a lot of body shaming. And of course, in very extreme cases, rape, which is essentially a, a power thing and not a sex thing, is you know the the victim is the woman or the girl who is a, a victim is is further victimized by the people who ought to be protecting her and you know loving her despite but um that's that's the the basis of honor killing essentially you know the idea that because the purity of you know this this girl child has been robbed and the killing of the girl child then you know is is meant to to purge this sort of impurity and then bring back family honor, I mean, it's it's so incredibly destructive and also a crime. But fundamentally, it's toxic for everybody because going beyond this example, 
Because it limits our potential, you know, fundamentally, we're all humans and it limits our human potential. When people are straight-jacketed, whether it's boys or girls, men and women, um, we are straight-jacketed, you know, forced to fit a particular mold. So we call these gender scripts. And people are really beyond, you know, these few identity markers because the human being is so complex. And we have so many gifts and talents to offer but uh, many people are needlessly suffering, you know, because of all of these um, systems of oppression that are really, really unnecessary if you think about it. And what's worse is that they're actually not sustainable. It may seem as though it makes the world go round, but actually, if you look at it, you know, humanity is imploding. I mean, it's, it's really unsustainable and destructible to everyone involved, even the ones who seem to be privileging or, you know, reaping the rewards of uh, patriarchy, so to speak. And that's what we want to discuss after break. On the show with me today is Sharon Bong, Associate Professor of Gender Studies, and she's pretty much giving me the 101 on patriarchy. We'll be back with more on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan, and on the show with me is Sharon Bong, Associate Professor of Gender Studies from Monash University, and we are talking about um, patriarchy and how it can hurt all of us, both men and women. Now, Sharon, let's talk about religion for a second. What role does religion play in reinforcing patriarchy? Okay, this is my pet peeve. Okay. I love this question. <laughs> because that's uh, fundamentally where my work is, la, on the intersection of gender studies and religious right. studies. So for me, really, religion is like the last stronghold, if it were a fortress, it's like the last stronghold of male power and privilege. Because that's where you can see so clearly, right, that uh, women are excluded you know, from positions of leadership, so-called, uh, as spiritual mentors and, you know, religious teachers and, and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of uh, mainstream interpretation of our holy texts, our religious texts and teachings, they tend to be skewed in such a way to reinforce patriarchy. I mean, because a lot of the uh, teachers um, have been men and continue to be men. And this is despite the existence of alternative interpretations or alternative voices, you know, that, that say to us time and time again that each human uh, has dignity because each human, at least if you um, are Muslim or Christian, you know, we would believe that each person is uh, created in the image of God, you know. And um, even for non-theistic religions, so for instance, Buddhism, the Buddha taught that all of us have equal um, access to enlightenment. So the road to enlightenment is not blocked simply because you're a woman. But for teachers of the faith, I mean, many lose sight of these interpretations, you know, and quite willfully disregard um, and preach something else and uh, preach something else that is quite toxic. So for instance, that women and there are other marginalized groups are unfit for leadership in their various faith communities or worse, unfit or unworthy human beings, you know. So there is, what is it, labeling or castigating, you know, some people as immoral or defective. So that's that's really a perversion, a perversion of a religion for the purpose of excluding certain people among us. And really, what's the point of that? Now, Sharon, when we talk about systems, we have to talk about politics and governments, right? How does 
governments and and politics and and the legal structure reinforce patriarchy? Uh, that's another good question, uh, Dashran. It's how should we say it? an incestuous relationship. So patriarchy runs through. You know, it's like it's like blood coursing through, pumping through the arteries of the political and the legal structure. So you will find that it's it's fairly male dominated, and when that happens, there are the interests of the few that are held up um, at the cost of the interests of um, many. And I suppose if we're looking at patriarchy, then where there is, as, as we talked about earlier, sexism, misogyny, that is still very, very much um, alive and, you know, sort of infiltrated um, political and legal systems. So where politics is concerned, um, it is really, really difficult for women, for persons of color, at least if you are persons of the ethnic minority, and other marginalized groups, like for instance, indigenous peoples, it's really, really difficult for, you know, these three um, communities to rise up in government. And we're talking about government at every level because the political structures, they feed on male power, male dominance, and privilege is given to well, certain types of men because, you know, not all men are born equal also. Yeah, like, you know, like a very elite uh, club membership lah. And the legal, the legal structure, just to finish off the point, people who interpret the law uh, and how justice is meted out. So because, you know, human beings are mediating this uh, whole process. So the sort of lopsided, uh, lopsidedness in patriarchal systems, they also infiltrate, you know, um, the courts and so on and so forth. So you have a lot of people getting the raw end of the stick, so to speak. This is a question that I actually asked YB Nurul Iza a few days ago, and I want to throw it to you as well. Do you think that one of the problems with patriarchal politics is also when we look at like how the governments are structured, the cabinets are structured, foreign policies are written? Patriarchal politics, the focus always tends to be on um, flexing how big your guns are, law and order, rigid laws, harsh compounds versus if you look at more f- countries where uh, we have feminist leaders, uh, women leaders in power, the focus seems to be on the people's welfare. Would you say that that's a fair statement to make? Yeah, definitely. And um, this is evidence-based. This is research-led. So, uh, you know, women's ways of knowing, uh, women's ethics of care, uh, uh, are really paramount and really evident in, for instance, when uh, we look at Jessica, Jacinda Arden mm-hmm. uh, in New Zealand. And um, in the past 18 months, you know, when the whole world was brought down to its knees by COVID, she was often touted as um, a world leader to lead other world leaders in terms of, you know, showing us how things could be better managed so all the characteristics that you mentioned, something that is not just, you know, systems that are not just uh, women-centered, but that are people-centered, you know. Mm-hmm. So development policies that are people-driven and not profit-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. And where you have um, decision-making processes that are not top-down, that are not, you know, 
um, draconian um, that are not imposed by just a few or maybe just like this one man at the top. But, you know, uh, it's, it's based on principles like consensus building and then also capacity building because you want to be able to tap on talents of people around you. And, you know, you don't want to be surrounded, I think. If you're a world leader of, if you are, you know, leading, if you're a head of state, um, I know it's in the interest of, of many to want to be surrounded by yes people. Right? <laughs> but I think sometimes, you know, when I fancy, what would I do if I were, you know, head of state? Don't know what state, but if I were head of state, I want to be surrounded by people who are, you know, intelligent, um, who care about social justice and um, to be, you know, making decisions that are fully informed, right? That are fair, that are going to be equitable. So these are some of the um, characteristics of what a woman-centered and also people-centered sort of governance is. And this actually makes for strong governance rather than, you know, weak governance. And we see, unfortunately, more examples of poor or weak governance around us and in this time of crisis, weak governance and poor governance is really, really amplified. So along with it, all of the you know, corruptibility of spirit and all of that, where the weak are you know, persecuted and, and you know, the strong or the rich are thriving. Because there are more billionaires huh, that have popped up because of the pandemic. Now, a lot of people think that patriarchy is a men versus women issue. But patriarchy also hurts men, doesn't it? I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, for instance, toxic masculinity, which is the extreme abuse of male power and privilege, for sure, I mean, it hurts boys, it hurts men. Insofar as, you know, men and boys are expected to live up to, you know, daily expectations and the pressure to perform. And also these days, you know, outperform girls and women, right? Mm -hmm. And there are also other marginalized groups so it doesn't take a genius to put two and two together on how this is eventually going to be taking a toll on one's health and, you know, health in many, many levels. So mental, emotional, and even spiritual well-being. So yeah, definitely. So that's why, you know, there is the um, qualifier of toxic before masculinity because it harms boys and men. But I need to repeat the point that I made um, uh, then and now that, um, well, if if one is benefiting or riding on male power and privilege, then the system, you know, hurts women and those excluded from such power and privilege in a very different way, first and foremost, and also in a far more disproportionate way. So I guess my sympathies, uh, to put it plainly and bluntly, would be, um, you know, still being on the side of those who are hurt by um, such systems, really they are systems of abuse, you know, oppression and abuse. And as I mentioned earlier, not all men are born equal. So gay men, for instance, and if you're a gay man of color, then uh, you would also be um, on the receiving end of victimization, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we talk about hegemonic masculinity. And when I say that not all men are born equal, it's mm -hmm. because of this. Um, not, it's not just an idea, but it's actually, you know, alive and very well because um, certain kind of men are placed at the top. Okay. That's right. And 
this could be in certain contexts, um, in American, for instance, and in a European context, this would refer to a white, straight, you know, middle-class man. Mm -hmm. And this man is sort of like lording it over other men who may not gender present as masculine, who may not identify as straight, meaning that they, you know, may not only desire members of the opposite sex, and even women who gender present as masculine and, you know, like uh, butch lesbians, for instance, and of mm -hmm. course, trans men. So when we, not just men, start to understand that there's power imbalance, not just between men and women, which is what patriarchy basically means, but also there is power imbalance among men and also among women, because women are also not born equal, then we start to realize that how, how, can, we, how can we bring about more so-called equilibrium? You know, how can we bring about more meaningful equality and also equity, not just between men and women, but also um, among ourselves and in the various, various other categories that I mentioned? Because things get more complicated when we think of intersecting factors such as sex and race and class, and then also our bodies, you know, who are differently abled. So the whole question of um, disability also come into play and so on and so forth. One argument I tend to hear, Sharon, is that if you challenge patriarchy, you're also challenging religion. And that's where things can get a little bit complicated. How do you usually maneuver this? How can we make it into a discussion worth having without getting people, you know, fired up and, and angry, especially when we talk about, you know, issues surrounding religion? Uh, that's an interesting um, question, Dastrin. It's how to survive, huh? how to survive <laughs> the storm. I, I tell my students, uh, yeah, because this, this has been my experience actually for mm -hmm. what, how long? Since the 1990s. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. And sometimes, you know, we, we try to make the message more palatable, right? So that it's more digestible and people won't choke on it. But I think trying to placate people, trying to, you know, manage people's reactions or emotions is not the responsibility of those who care enough, who identify as feminists or, you know, don't have to use that label, but who are agitating, right, for social mm -hmm. justice, for so many vulnerable communities. I think it's not our responsibility to manage, you know, the reactions of others or That's to right. make the message more palatable. Because when we, feminists or otherwise, uh, speak up, stand up to, you know, call to question the status quo, that is definitely likely to ruffle, uh, you know, more than a few feathers beginning with the ones who are benefiting most from such systems of oppression because it really benefits a few. But, you know, it leaves the vast majority actually really, really disenfranchised and wounded and even broken. I think it just takes courage. And today, you know, it's, it's a good time to be a feminist. It's a good time to be an advocate for social justice today because of the power of social media platforms I mean, true, you get backlash and all of that, uh, which feminists and others have received from time immemorial, death threats, you know, rape threats. But it's, it's having a community, people like you, you know, think like you, um, have very similar social values, 
even though we come from such different um, backgrounds, but to have the support of such kindred spirits, I think that really goes a long way because uh, the journey would otherwise be quite unbearably um, lonely, I think. And, and as for me, personally, my students keep me going. I'm always inspired by them. Yeah. And I think, you know, where do you come from? You know, how, how yeah. are the seeds of feminism, right? Sure. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it, first of all, instilled, sowed in your hearts, right? Final thoughts from you. We've discussed the problems with patriarchy. How do we dismantle it? Okay. Um, the questions <laughs> don't get easier. <laughs> I guess if patriarchy were a brick wall, okay, then we would dismantle it brick by brick. And, you know, history has shown us that more than one wall has crumbled, right? Okay. Uh, the last time one chap decided to want to build a wall, uh, that didn't work out, thankfully. <laughs> um, and I guess for me, you know, I'm, I'm particularly partial to radical feminists. Uh, they, they get the, the most flack, the most backlash, um, because they were, you know, all about advocating a different way of being, a different way of living, a different way of relating. So whilst the question, how do we dismantle patriarchy, is definitely a very important one, I think an equally important question is why? You know, why should we dismantle patriarchy? And the short answer is that it's toxic in the ways that mm -hmm. we've discussed it. Obviously, to those who are disadvantaged by it, but also those who seem advantaged by it. And that was a whole discussion on toxic masculinity. Right. So what I want to challenge, you know, um, read listeners who are out there is that um, those of us, it's not just about men, but each one of us who are in positions of power and privilege, so that includes, you know, you and I having this conversation, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, we must, we can and we must do more, you know, to, um, to heal the sick, uh, to raise the lowly um, and to mend, you know, um, broken relationships. And there is this cliche yeah, that, that young people throw around, but um, <laughs> I find a lot of meaning in it. Because it, it, it resonates with, with the urgency of, of how, you know, this needs to be done. Like now, uh, you know, if not me, who? If not now, when? So for any one of us who um, is troubled by what we see around us, you know, by people who are hurting, by people who are being wounded, and especially if, if we uh, are benefiting in some way, not directly sometimes, but, you know, even indirectly, uh, because we happen to be, you know, born into the so-called right sex, the right sexual orientation, the right skin color. All of us can and should do more. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show, Sharon. No, at all, Dr. Sharon. Thank you for that, asking. <laughs> that was Sharon Bong, Associate Professor of Gender Studies at Monash University, enlightening me on patriarchy. What exactly is it and how does it hurt all of us, both women and men too? So if you missed any part of the show, you can download the podcast on the BFM app or on bfm.my. Just search Today I Learned. Once again, I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.